I would like to introduce a couple of very special people to me to come to the pulpit right now. My daughter, uh, Isabella, or known to me as Bella Boo. <laughs> and her husband, Spencer, and she's going to be reading scripture for us, and Spencer's going to pray for us this morning. I am Matthew's daughter, and uh, before I read, I just want to say it's been almost two years that he's been a pastor here, and it was really hard, actually, for them to move 16 hours away, Um, but I could not have prayed for a better place for my mom and dad to come. I don't know you all super well, but you are an amazing people, and Truly, all the years that my dad has served as a pastor, he has never been in a more amazing place, in my opinion. So, if you've been here both those two years, I love you so much, and you're so amazing. And if you're new here this morning, you really came to the right place. So, it is my honor to read Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of God this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place where Quirius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him up tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you, that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for coming and walking with us. We thank you for keeping your word all those years and showing yourself to us. And we thank you today that you are worthy of being praised. You are worthy of our attention and the fact that you welcome us in, broken, sinners, all of the things that we are and all the things that we aren't. And we thank you for this place to pause and be encouraged and have people to worship with. And we thank you for this season of expectation and excitement and that we get to celebrate and be joyful for all of the good and the beauty and the forgiveness and the salvation. So we thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. If maybe you're new to the Bible uh, and you don't have one with you, we have Bibles underneath uh, many of the chairs uh, in front of you, and you can grab one of those Bibles. It's best to start actually at the back of the Bible to find Malachi. It's the last uh, little book in the Old Testament right before Matthew's biography of Jesus. So it's right about there. (laughs) Malachi chapter 1. 
And we're going to read one and a half verses. A pronouncement. The word of Yahweh. This is the word of the living God. To Israel through Malachi. I have loved you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite writers once said, most of life is not lived in crisis, which is a good thing. To which we say, duh. Because, he goes on, not many of us would be able to sustain a life of perpetual pain or loss, ecstasy or challenge. But, but, and he's about to introduce a danger. During humdrum times, when things are, as we tend to say, normal, our interest in God is crowded to the margins of our lives and we become preoccupied with ourselves. Religion during such humdrum times is often trivialized into various things like asking God questions, like when we call Him into question or or we complain about Him, or Treating the worship of God as a mere hobby or kind of a diversion. You know, this, this is just kind of diverting me from the rest of the things that are going on in my life this morning. That's why I showed up. It's just kind of a thing to do. Or religion can become a managing of our personal affairs for our own convenience. Disregarding what God has to say about those personal affairs in the humdrum times. We're finally going about our usual activities as if God were not even involved in such dailiness, such ordinariness, end quote. This is an incredibly dangerous way of living, family, pushing God to the margins. It's incredibly dangerous. Done over time, we become callous to the reality and involvement of God in the very ordinary parts of our lives. We treat him in a very real sense as if he were not even real. It can happen even at Christmas, which is a bit surprising as it is a season that demands a reckoning with the divine, a reckoning with miracles, with the spiritual with the idea that the world is actually an enchanted place filled with the presence and activity of a powerful and active, we might almost say, magical God. And if we do that, we are in danger of inhabiting this yearly festival, pursuing only ourselves and the season godless. Eugene Peterson, at the beginning of his paraphrase of the Bible, the message, when he gets to Malachi in the little introduction, he writes this, the prophecy of Malachi is made for just the kind of conditions I've been describing to you. Malachi creates a crisis at a time when we are unaware of crisis because that's what happens when we push God to the margins of our lives. We don't even know it, but we're in a crisis situation. Malachi wakes us up to the crisis of God during the times when the only thing we are concerned with is us. Malachi aims to keep us on our toes, listening for God, waiting in anticipation for God, ready to respond to God, who is always God is always coming to us. Always. Malachi, his very name means messenger, considerably 
reduces the danger of our trivializing matters of God and the soul. Y'all didn't know you were going to have to work this morning, did you? That's the danger. I don't want, family, I don't want you to trivialize matters of God and your soul. Which is why we come together. It's why we're here on a Sunday morning to turn to an ancient book, an ancient book that contains the very words of God to hear and to be reminded of the transcendent, that this world is, in fact, an enchanted place inhabited by an involved God. You see, brothers and sisters, Malachi announces God's involvement in this world in our lives, which is the solution to the crisis of godlessness that we see around us, that we can be swept up into a God-unawareness. Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever made it to the end of the day and think, I didn't think about God once? I submit to you that that's a problem. You see, what Malachi is on about is announcing beforehand what Bellaboo just read to you in Luke chapter 2. He's announcing beforehand the story that we've been studying for the last four weeks. Did you pick up on the fact that we haven't left Luke 2 for three weeks? To see there hope and joy and peace and that those things... Don't just come into the world untethered from the reality and involvement of God. They don't just happen. They're here because he is. And this is what prophets do. It's what they've always done. Prophets try and get people's attention on behalf of God. They work to reduce the danger of our trivializing matters of God and the soul. They work to restore, Paul, wonder. Wonder. Last year, when the Christmas tree was lit on S Mountain, something new for our family to experience, there was something that happened immediately afterwards that didn't happen this year. Last year, you see there were these workers that had gone up onto S Mountain and they had placed little tubes over various parts of S Mountain that were filled with something that would create surprise, excitement, and joy. That when set off, when set off they would make something appear for all of us to see. And our family stood with with Pastor Jim and his family and Pastor George and his family and, and other friends from Grace and, and so many people in our community, right? We, stu- we stood together doing what? Just waiting. Waiting for, for, for what? For tubes to be lit that would cast colorful explosions into the sky, hundreds and hundreds of feet above our heads, right? And you know what I saw as I looked around at people when that started to happen? When I looked at their faces, you know what I saw? Awe and wonder, right? Surprise, excitement, joy caused by something beautiful and unexpected and almost inexplicable. And do you know what I heard from mouths where jaws were hanging open? What did I hear? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ah. Yay. Right? I saw people looking at each other going, can you believe that? Oh, look at that one. Look. And what do people say? Isn't it what? Is it interesting the way words work? Isn't it wonderful? Have you ever stopped to think what that word means? It means that you're full of wonder. You're full of surprise and excitement and joy at something that was beautiful and inexplicable. And you see, prophets are workers sent by God 
who have been given instructions that are meant to create surprise, excitement, and joy. When lit by the Spirit of God, they are meant to cast explosions of new realities across the landscape of our minds and our hearts and our lives. If we have eyes to see it this morning, if, Paul, if, if God would answer Paul's prayer, give us new eyes, we'd see it there in Luke 2. The hope of God, ooh. The joy of Jesus, ah. The peace that comes from him, yay. Yes. We should not and must not trivialize these things, dear friends. They are meant to create a feeling of surprise mingled with joy and warmth and excitement because they are beautiful, they are unexpected, and they are inexplicable. Like this word from the prophet Malachi. That is beautiful and unexpected and inexplicable. I have loved you. I have loved you. You know, maybe there's someone here that hasn't heard that all week. And if that's true, I'm sorry. Or maybe there's someone on that live stream that hasn't heard this all week. But you're hearing it today. The God of the universe is declaring I have loved you. Okay, now, to rightly understand what God is saying here, we know this, we're learning this at Grace, right? We, we have to understand context. So it's really important to understand who God is saying this to at this moment in the life of Malachi. We need to know who the you is. And so to answer that, we're going to do something a little different this morning, okay? Because it's Christmas Eve. And I don't know if your family is like our family. We love to sit around and we love to hear stories. I love to hear other people, other writers who, who are taking the biblical texts and are creating stories that have that truth embedded in them and then are kind of imagining what would that have been like, almost like a, a, a historical kind of narrative, right? Rooted in history, rooted in the scriptures, but filling in a little bit between the lines. And so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna let Russ Ramsey take us back because that's what I wanna do. I wanna get us back to Israel. I want to get us back to the time of Malachi. I want you to understand what was going on so you can hear these words in a fresh way and with a sense of wonder. Okay, are you ready? I mean, you've got cookies and hot chocolate and come on, we're ready for this. Russ Ramsey. Assyria and Babylon swept through the promised land and they carried the people of God into captivity. They consumed Israel's resources and they destroyed their cities. They killed their livestock. They burned their homes. Imagine this. Get yourself there. They separated husbands from their wives, parents from their children. They broke every heart in the land and few would ever recover from it. Eventually, the people were permitted to return home which some did, like the refugees of war that they were. Some, but not all. Some had gotten married in captivity and had started new lives in a different land. Many had died. Many others, far more tragically, lost interest in being a part of a nation whose God, the same God who, who had promised to love them as his own with an everlasting love, that God had allowed pagan nations like Assyria and Babylon to defile them. How were they to understand the stories of Yahweh calling his servant Abraham to be the father of the nation that they had become? Well, yes, they had disobeyed his law. Yes, they had had idolatrous hearts. But what about God's promise? He had said he would never leave them or forsake them. 
So where is he in all of this? End quote. So, so as we pause in the story here, do you know what they did? They pushed God to the margins of their lives because they weren't happy with what he was doing in their lives. They went about their usual activities as if God was not involved in the dailiness and ordinariness of their lives. They began disregarding what God had to say and was still saying about them. And then in the midst of that comes this announcement that you have heard, I have loved you. Past tense, I have loved you. Ramsey again. But the people didn't feel loved. How were they supposed to reconcile this statement of God, I have loved you, with their experience under Assyria and Babylon? The two were at odds. And these two things being at odds left them with one of two possibilities in response. Either God was lying, he didn't actually love them, or they were so blind to the purposes of his work in their lives that they couldn't make sense of his love. So they ask, verse 2, how have you loved us? How? Because God. (laughs) And Yahweh used this question as an opportunity to turn Israel's attention to him while at the same time he confronts their disbelief. You see, Israel's question how have you loved us, was a statement thrown over their shoulders a bit at God as kind of a rhetorical flourish of their cynical despondency. But to Yahweh, this was anything but a rhetorical question. If they were going to ask how he had loved them, he was going to answer. Of all the ways that Yahweh could have answered them, look look in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he reminds them of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and tells their story. Even while they were in Rebekah's womb, these boys had struggled with each other. She had asked God why, and he had told her, because there are two nations in your womb, Rebekah, and the two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when the boys were born, of course, Esau came first with Jacob following, grabbing at his brother's heel, and they haven't stopped fighting to this day. Esau's descendants would become known as Edom. Jacob's descendants would come to be known as Israel. And all that had been said of the two brothers would come true. Now we might say with the people of Israel right now in the story, why are you telling that story, God? We asked you, how have you loved us? And you start telling us about Jacob and Esau? What's the point of that? And God replies, well, here's the point. Don't you see that I have loved you because I have called you to be my people? That I set my blessing on the people of Jacob and not Esau? That I chose Jacob's line before you were born, before you had a chance to earn my approval, acceptance, or love? That I have vowed to be your God forever? And I still am. But God wasn't finished with their question yet. You see, the problem wasn't simply that they couldn't see God's love. It was that they couldn't see themselves in an honest light either. They couldn't see themselves in an honest light. And so Yahweh showed them the condition that they were really in. You see, his love for them wasn't found simply in the fact that he had chosen them. In spite of everything that they had become, he was still choosing them. That is the evidence of his love that they could not see. Pause in Ramsey's story. And I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that this is the really, listen, this is the really hard part sometimes of understanding God's love for us. It is revealed 
not only in him doing what we think feels good to us or good for us, things like providing hope and and granting joy and bringing about shalom, hallelujah, that is God's love. But it is also expressed in him showing us the condition that we are really in, in holding up a mirror before us so that we might see who we would become and who we are at times apart from him. Revealing the times that we are living our lives with a concern only for ourselves, how we push him to the, mar- the margins, that, that we are so often half-hearted in our worship on a Sunday morning, that we are dull in our devotion, that we are callous to our sin. He is loving in that he shows us where all of that will lead if we don't have the courage to face and address those parts of our lives. That too is God's love for us. And it's uncomfortable, isn't it? If we're honest. And we don't like that part. And we don't like when anybody else who says they love us shows us that. And we, we, we push against that, don't we? If Susan says something to me, if she points out darkness in me, 70% of the time, I want to argue with her about it. Nah, you, nah. 30% of the time I listen. If she were here, maybe she'd say 10. I don't know. <laughs> and we do the same with God. We don't see that at his lo- as his love when it is. And that's why Malachi is here because humans tend to trivialize matters of God in the soul and the prophets will have none of it. And they will have none of it actually because they care so much about people. Ramsey continues. In the years since their return from exile, God's people had become jaded. They went through the motions of worshiping Yahweh, but their hearts were far from him. They couldn't see the benefits of serving God and in fact believed it was better not to Their worship was heartless because their hearts were faithless. Huh. Their worship was heartless because their hearts were faithless. But there was still hope. (laughs) Through his messenger Malachi, Yahweh was painting for them a sweeping picture of what they had become. There was so much pain packed into their lives, so much frustration, so much sorrow, so much rebellion. And the more Yahweh spoke to remind them of his law, the more they saw how completely they had broken it. And in this way, Malachi takes them to the edge of hopelessness as though their entire history was little more than the story of a great promise unraveling, the story of its recipients pulling and pulling at the fringes of every good and sacred thing God had given until there was nothing left. It was a hard message, but it was one that they needed to hear. You see, to comprehend their reason for hope, they had to hear and understand Yahweh's righteous indictment against them. Their guilt ran so deep. Their rebellion had come to define them. As a nation and as individuals, they had failed. They had utterly failed. His people were so poor in spirit that they couldn't even articulate what they needed saving from. So in an immeasurable gift of grace, their God would show them. They needed to be rescued and saved from their sin and sorrow. They needed to know God had not abandoned them to decay in their graves. They needed, after what would be a long indictment against them, like a prosecuting attorney bringing all of the evidence, they needed to hear Yahweh say in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And it is that statement from Malachi which is fulfilled in the story that Bella read. 
You see the sending of Jesus into the world by our Father, the incarnation of the divine Son into a baby born in Bethlehem? Wonder. The Son of God in a womb breaking through a birth canal crying out in the hands of Joseph delivered in a stable to save you from your sin. Ooh, ah. He was sent into a world full of people who are trapped in their sin and self-centeredness and sorrow and are trivializing matters of God and the soul who are pushing him to the margins. Sometimes even in the practice of our religion, in the practice of following God, we push God to the margins. And this is the display of his love. And we ask, how have you loved us? Well, this is the, the greatest and most explosive display of his love filling the universe with bright colors and exquisite expressions of hope and joy and peace. Jesus is the son of righteousness that Malachi foretold who is risen from the dead <laughs> with healing in his wings. His announcement by angels is at once the declaration of our salvation and God's love. Hallelujah. And it is my prayer in this moment that God would grant all of us wonder that we would receive the gift that the Holy Spirit would give you the gift of a feeling of surprise <laughs> and excitement and joy caused by something that is it is so beautiful if we would have eyes to see it's so inexplicable I mean what could be more beautiful than Jesus setting aside the divine sonship to take on flesh. What could be more beautiful than that? What could be more unexpected than God born as a baby? What could be more inexplicable than the infinite, in the words of John Murray, than the infinite becoming finite, the eternal and supra-temporal entering into time and becoming subject to its conditions. The immutable becoming mutable. The invisible becoming the visible. The creator becoming the created. The sustainer of all becoming dependent. The almighty becoming infirm. What could be more inexplicable than that? And as the story unfolds, we discover that this baby would grow up to become the greatest prophet to ever live. He would be raised, raised up to have the very words of God in his mouth. If you know the story of Moses in Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, it says that I promise you, one will rise up among you who will have my very words in his mouth. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy from the prophet Moses. And that man, Jesus the Messiah, would explain the connection between Malachi's prophecy and Luke's story of his birth while giving us his mission to the world. Listen in John chapter 3. This is the word of Jesus. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved Oh, you had to know John 3.16 was coming today. <laughs> For God so loved the world in this way, in this very specific way. He gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, everyone. There are 
people on this worship team and in that booth back there that prayed this morning that if you haven't yet believed in Jesus, you would believe in him today. Because everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You'll live forever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Ooh. Ah. He is the justifier. Did you hear that this morning? He is the justifier of the inexcusable. There is no excuse for you. (laughs) Think about what you did this week. Think about it. We all did some pretty bad stuff this week. Inexcusable things, really. And you know what God did? He sent his son into the world not to condemn you. (laughs) But to save you. To save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Who doesn't want to be condemned? Me. (laughs) I don't want to be condemned. I hate being condemned. And Jesus is here so that I'm not condemned. There's a warning here. Because anyone, and this is from Jesus, this is Jesus still, anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Oh no. Because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Because this is the judgment. And he, and he points back, Paul, to John 1 that you read for us. The light has come into the world. And here's what is so tragic. The people love darkness rather than the light. Why did they do that? Because their deeds were evil, Jesus says. Because everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. He doesn't want to be seen. But anyone who lives, who lives by the truth, and he's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by him. No, by God. By God. His saving will happen from God. You see, God acted, and by his actions, God so loved the world so that God may rightly say and has fulfilled, I have loved you. And just how has God loved I imagine Jesus would answer in this way. He sent me into a world to you. He sent me to each of you who could not see yourselves. You didn't have the ability to see yourselves in an honest light. You love darkness and you don't love the light. Your deeds are evil and all of you have failed. You have utterly failed. And this is a hard message. I know it's not a fun message, but you have to hear it. And the Father has done this. This is the wonder. The Father has done this not to condemn you, but to save you through me. And just like Malachi before me, I need you to see right now, right now, this moment, I need you to see that this is the condition that you are in. You do wicked works. You hurt others. You think of yourself. You push my Father to the margins. You don't want to be exposed in this. And Jesus is right, isn't he? Even at Christmas, even at Christmas, how often are human interactions not marked by peace and goodwill toward men? Not marked by that. And instead, even at Christmas, our human interactions are marked with fights and sharp, edgy words ungratefulness, a lack of care and love, family squabbles, the resurrection of of grudges and griefs long held, kept quiet throughout the year only to be opened up like dark gifts bearing sadness and pain. One recalls that depression skyrockets at Christmas. You see, like the prophet Malachi before him, the coming of Jesus is about creating a crisis where maybe we weren't aware of a crisis. That there is 
that there is a darkness in this world, that there is a darkness in us. But the beauty of Christmas is this beautiful revelation that he can fix that, that that is the expression of God's love for us. This is the unexpected nature of the coming of the king is that he did not come to condemn us but is driven by love to rescue us. (laughs) What wonder. Oh, family, we must see the crisis of humanity then, centuries ago in Bethlehem, and now in Salida. We must see the crisis in humanity for what it truly is all around us. Oh, that he would give us eyes to see that there is a crisis so severe in our valley that it required God in heaven to send his one and only and pure and holy and faultless son to die. That's how severe this crisis is. But with good news of great joy, that will be for all the people because where there was despair, in the words of Russ Ramsey, there would be hope. The sun of righteousness would rise. God's rescuer would shine a light in every dark corner. Where the people now lived in danger under constant threat of war or famine, God's refining work of salvation would bring security. Hope will break like the dawning of the sun. Where there was brokenness, there will be healing. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. As the sun brings life to whatever it shines upon, God's judgment has a profound effect on his people, actually fixing everything that is broken and making people whole and alive in the warmth of a new day. Where there was sadness, there will be joy. When the sun of righteousness rises on the people of God, they go out leaping like calves. (laughs) What does that look like? Y'all better be running out like that today. I don't say that to shame you. I say that to encourage you. The solemn and the sorrowful ones who only plotted through life will become like children who wearing their, like children, Paul, like children who wearing their joy like Joseph's robe, skip and run and dance and leap and spin. What do your kids do when you give them all those presents at Christmas? That's what they do. They just bop around the, around the house. Because in their gladness, who wants to merely walk when you're filled with joy? Right? You leap. You saunter. You dance. When Jesus comes where there was bondage, there will be freedom. Like calves leaping from a stall into an open field, they revel in their liberty. They had been cooped up penned in, hunkered down, but the scent of spring hovers over everything as hope rises that there was life yet hidden in what the winter months have destroyed, though they had become acclimated to living in a hemmed-in kennel of a world. (laughs) Have you ever seen a puppy in a kennel and you open that door and Bella and Spencer brought a new puppy with them? And it's just absolutely fantastic. Her name is Cove. And they put her in our backyard, which has a fence around it. And they don't have snow in Minnesota now. Ha ha. But we have it here in Colorado. And she goes on. She was tearing around the yard, like sticking her nose in the snow and pushing it up and just running back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because she'd been cooped up in a car for 16 hours. She'd been set free. That's what it looks like when you're set free after being kenneled up. You have freedom from sin. Thank you, Jesus. And though they struggled to see it, God loved them. And though we may struggle to see it, God loves us. I have prayed all week for you. I know there are people in this room who are struggling to see that God loves you. You are struggling. And he knows. He sees. And he loves you with an everlasting, 
never failing, never giving up, got no quit in it kind of love. (laughs) And when all is said and done, do you know what the end, which is really the beginning of our story is? The true beginning? It's in Revelation 21. Worship team, would you come up? It says, this is the promise. I'm sorry, I'm so emotional today. Ah. I love the Bible. You guys, I love that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And I love that at the end of the story, which is the beginning of the story, it says, he will dwell with them. If you're afraid and if you're struggling, grab hold of this promise. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away, I did not plan this, every tear. (laughs) He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For look, says the one sitting on the throne, I am making everything new. (laughs) Oh, my brothers and sisters, what a wonder. What a wonder. What surprise we should have filled with warmth and excitement caused by the beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and inexplicable realities bound up in Christmas. From the messenger named Malachi to the messenger who is the Messiah, the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas is that God loves us. God loves us. We're going to end like we began. Before we move to a song, too quickly, I want to give you a couple of minutes to ponder this. And this is what happens. We, songs are good, but we go right to the song and we go right to a conversation with someone else and it's you know, wow, look at this weather. Hey, it snowed up on Monarch three inches and, and you just move right past the wonder. And so I, wanna, I want the spirit to work now. So just, just gonna be a moment of quiet. I, you can go on your knees. You can sit like you're sitting. You can have your eyes open. You can close them. You can bow your head, keep it up high. A couple minutes for you to ponder. And here's what I want you to ponder. I'm gonna put it on the screen. I want you to ponder these words from God. I have loved you. I've loved you by sending my son to become human for you so that he could die to save you. From you, I have loved you. One of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that something that should happen on a daily basis in the life of a follower of Jesus is that they should find themselves preaching to themselves. The world and the flesh and the devil as an unholy trinity are against you, dear brothers and sisters. And you have to speak back to evil forces that are tempting you to despair and tell you of the guilt within. And when that happens, you know what you say? He loves me. He loves me. (laughs) Give it your best shot, Satan. You know what? He still loves me. Point out my sin. That's nothing. I could tell you way more that I've done. He loves me. And and here's the thing I want you to do as well because the Bible also tells us encourage yourself. No. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin causing you to fall away from the living God. So you know what I want you to do right now? I want you to turn to someone. I'm going to put the words on the screens for you. I want you to say to someone next to you, God loves you. And then when you see that look on your face, that so often happens when we say things like this to each other. No, really, really, God loves you. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
And you know what you could do if you wanted? Because this is the way that families really should operate. When we see each other because we're brothers and sisters, you could say, I love you. I love you. You could do that. Go ahead. You could do that. I love you. <laughs> Friends, I, I've got a final question for you. Is there any reason today whatsoever that you can't believe that God loves you? And if there is, if there's something that just popped into your head right there, right now, I want to tell you, that's not an obstacle to his love. There is absolutely no reason for you not to believe that God loves you. Because Jesus came and he died and he rose again as the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Himself, the love and expression of the love of God so that you could have this wonder. Here is the wonder of Christmas. That you are more wicked and evil than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. <laughs> that is the wonder of Christmas. So that you can sing, well, of course, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let none of you, let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were, we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Sing it.